Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts. And so today, I'm covering something that feels pretty much like a requirement for the new year manifestation, but I'm hoping we can look at it from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. I think Nick's got a good take on it, because manifestation is... There are a lot of ways to get into the some dark, gross areas of magic that we don't want to go through there. So nope. uh, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about a spice that we all love when it's cold outside, cinnamon. And I'm also going to introduce us to the Hindu goddess, Kali. And I think this is our first Hindu deity, right? I believe so. We, we've, we've touched on some of the connections between like the Greco-Roman deities and perhaps some of their counterparts in the Hindu pantheon. But I but do yeah. believe I do believe this is the first time just going full force for a Hindu deity. Yeah, it's really fun. And you guys will see, I um I'm not gonna get into talking about how to work with them in your practice because that feels gross and appropriative. Um we do a lot of taking from Hindu culture, especially yogis. <laughs> not trying to call anyone out, but uh that's just that's my personal take on it. I do have some stuff that has different Hindu deities on it in my home, but they were gifts from my friend Monsi. When she would go back to India, sometimes she brought me back fun little uh, little trinkets from India that have Hindu deities on them. But anyway, that's a story for a different time. Uh, we're going to be talking about cinnamon. And I'm really excited because cinnamon is one of those things that like it's added to everything this time of year but it's also delightfully witchy. And it's one of those ways that I feel like you can incorporate a little bit of magic in the kitchen, in your potpourri, in anything you do in the winter season. Because even though Christmas has come and gone, we're still all about like cinnamon and wintry spices and everything basically until February, at least. I mean, shit, I I just like cinnamon. Yeah, I mean, I also just like cinnamon. It's great. I mean, like, like, let's just be honest. And, you know, it's actually really funny because today I was given the scoop. Apparently, I know someone who has a cinnamon tree in South Austin. Ooh. Like, a, like a fully grown cinnamon tree. And it is my prerogative to see if I can reach out to this person and go get some fresh cinnamon bark. Well, yeah, you're fired from the podcast if you don't. So anyway, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did just infuse my elderberry syrup with cinnamon today, which slightly helped dissipate that like rank smell of cooking elderberries. But I digress. I did touch on cinnamon um, in an episode last year that we did on Yule herbs, but I feel like cinnamon does deserve its own segment. So let's just jump right in. It is a spice. It comes from the inner bark of several tree species from the genus uh, Cinnamomum, which sounds kind of like you're trying to say cinnamon while you're drunk. Cinnamomum. It also sounds like a cinnamon Pokemon. <laughs> Cinnamomum. Cinnamomum. Yeah, I love it. The aroma and flavor that's like very iconically cinnamon comes from the essential oil cinnamaldehyde, which also sounds dope. It's like all of the cinnamon names just yeah. sound really cool. So the tree species that cinnamon comes from, they're all members of the genus Lauraceae or laurels. 
which might be a bit of foreshadowing for the magical properties of cinnamon. So there are only a few species of trees that are grown commercially for the spice harvest, but some folks do consider uh, Cinnamomum verum to be the most true verum, true version of the spice. But the majority of the spice in international commerce is actually derived from Cinnamomum cassia. And so We'll talk in the herbalism section about how important it is to know the difference between Ceylon and cassia cinnamons, but I digress. Indonesia and China actually produce the vast majority of commercially sold and traded cinnamon around the world. When I say the vast majority, I mean like 70%. It's that's oh, that's that's quite a bit more than half. So quite a yes, bit more than half. Uh, good. You yeah. could you could win a vote in the Senate with that kind of majority. Absolutely. And this is a spice with a really long history. So we do know it was imported to Egypt as early as 2000 BC, and it was so highly prized that it was regarded as the perfect gift for monarchs and deities. And there's an inscription actually at the Temple of Apollo at Miletus that uh, records cinnamon being used as an offering. So there's like there are records. But in Egypt, it was used to embalm mummies. And from the Ptolemaic kingdom forward, it was used in recipes for um, kaifi or kifi, which is basically an aromatic incense. And according to Pliny the Elder, who's kind of a big deal if you look at anything oh, medical history. Just Pliny the Elder, that, that fucking guy. Right. So according to Pliny the Elder, a Roman pound of cassia cinnamon cost up to 50 months of wages for a standard laborer. And it was far too expensive for everyday funeral pyres. But of course, our dear friend Nero burned a fuck ton of cinnamon at the funeral for his wife, that same funeral where he also disrupted the global frankincense trade for, you know, at least a year. So the cinnamon, the trees are evergreen trees with oval-shaped leaves, thick bark, and they actually produce berries. When you're harvesting the spice, the bark and the leaves are the primary parts of the plant that you're going to use. And the way the tree is cultivated is by growing it for about two years, and then it's called coppicing it, which basically means they cut the stems down at the ground level. And the following year, about a dozen new shoots will form from the roots. And those stems are processed immediately after harvesting while the inner bark is still wet. The outer bark is like scraped off and then the branch is beaten to loosen the inner bark, which is then pried off in long rolls. And once it's been processed, it actually only takes about four to six hours for the bark to completely dry. If it's not in a place with good airflow, you can get some gross stuff growing. So like, it's really important that cinnamon is processed correctly. So I'm not going to super get into growing the trees because it's not common. Wait. For people to but grow what about But what about our listeners in Sri Lanka? Our Sri Lankan listeners probably already have cinnamon trees and don't have to do fucking anything to get plants to thrive outdoors because that's how that works. So <laughs> on to the medicine. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Y'all, I'm not a doctor. This is for entertainment. It's not intended to treat or diagnose anything. Consult with your physician. But I was thinking about it after a conversation Nick and I had earlier on the last episode we recorded. For those of you on Patreon, you might notice that this is something we're recording back to back. Uh, I would never prescribe you anything. However, if you need someone to write you a note for a nap, I will do that. I will gladly prescribe you a nap anytime you need it, because I think that's one of the best things we can do for our health. So anyway, it's really important, though, to know the difference between Ceylon and Cassia cinnamon, um, if you want to use it for herbal medicine specifically. So Ceylon cinnamon, it's light brown, it's softer, it's easier to grind, but it is also very expensive. Like, I'm not going to lie, 
this is the expensive cinnamon. Cassia is darker with a reddish hue, but it also has higher levels of Kumarin, which is this thing that it's a substance that's actually toxic to your liver at high levels. And it's the reason you'll sometimes see people warning against using cinnamon in high quantities regularly. You should always be careful anyway, but just know that if you're wanting to use cinnamon for herbal medicine, you really do kind of need to get the more expensive cinnamon because the Kumaran stuff is not something you want to play around with. I guess I'm noticing that the word Kumaran looks a lot like Kumadin, the blood thinner. Mm, It does. I wonder if there's a connection there. Perhaps. I don't know. (laughs) But we're not doctors. We're not doctors. And this is a a prime example. Exactly. of, of, Of the whole in our medical knowledge. Exactly. Uh, So cinnamon, though, is a really cool plant. It's obviously warming. I feel like that's not surprising to anyone. What? It stimulates circulation, and it's a really excellent carminative. So it can help you digest fat and settle indigestion, which is why it's so good in the wintertime. Also really a great additive to savory dishes as well. And it can also- Wait, can I I jump in here? Yeah. I I do cook for a living. Uh, I just want to say- cinnamon is great in a pot roast oh yeah oh yeah cinnamon is so good i like cinnamon and so much stuff also cinnamon is great sprinkled over the top of your potting mix when you're trying to sprout seedlings because it's antifungal and it helps prevent damping off anyway Mm. so the other cool thing though that cinnamon can do is it can help stabilize your blood sugar and lower cholesterol there have actually been some research studies to see if cinnamon can be like helpful for people with diabetes so you know, again, we're not doctors, but I always think it's fascinating when little herbs end up being studied for big medicine. The volatile oils, though, do have antibacterial, antiviral, and antifungal properties, and they can be really helpful in case of affection, in affection, infection. It's also said, though, to have a really astringent and drying effect. Cinnamon is, and it can be used as an expectorant when you're congested. I think that drying effect is very well uh, illustrated by the cinnamon challenge from several mm. years ago on the internet. Don't do it. Thank God. Thank God we're just too too much of old fucks to take part in stuff like that. Right. So finally, though, the, the coolest thing I thought about cinnamon is they say it can boost your cognitive function. So if you're going to see your grandparents, maybe make them some cinnamon baked goods. Help them be a little bit more on their toes. So to use cinnamon for herbal medicine, you can make a tea, you can add it to baked goods, you can include it in nut butters, you can add it to spice blends for things that you eat. I really love adding cinnamon to oatmeal with some turmeric, like turmeric and cinnamon and fresh honey and oatmeal is like one of my favorites. fucking good. Yeah, it's really dope. And it makes a really great potpourri as well. Stovetop potpourri we've talked a lot about. And there are also about a billion recipes for homemade toothpaste or like they're tooth powders that you mix with water uh, using cinnamon because it is, you know, that antifungal antibacterial thing. I also, for a long time, there was a cinnamon flavored toothpaste that for some reason, someone in my family picked up and it was around for a while. Um, that was weird to me, but you know, it, I, I, I kind of like cinnamon flavored toothpaste. It, it makes me think of a red hot, the candy. Mm. See, I, I like cinnamon and I like cinnamon and lots of stuff. Like I love cinnamon gum. Like I was a big red addict for a while, Mm. but something about cinnamon toothpaste, I don't know. It just hurt my mouth after a while. Like it burns a little, it burns so good. 
it burns to me it burned my mouth more than like the mints so maybe i just have a baby palate but anyway y'all let's talk magic because cinnamon is really like a heavy hitter magically for sure and it's no surprise given the affinity for warming spices in the dark half of the year cinnamon is a hit with our lady hecate oh no shit Right. The high price tag is also one of the reasons cinnamon's commonly associated with abundance. I do have cinnamon powder in my prosperity bowl, which we talked about a few episodes ago, maybe a few months ago at this point, which is great because if you use a wooden bowl, like I do the antimicrobial and antibacterial, antifungal, all that shit keeps weird things from growing in your wooden bowl while also bringing in a bit of prosperity, which is super cool. So this spice it's associated with the sun, the fire element, the sign Aries, Hi. the color red, and Phoenix, and the Phoenix. And Nick, this is also sometimes called the dragon spice. So I was thinking it would be super clutch for you to maybe throw a cinnamon stick in with your dragon deck for what I, it's worth. I, I do love that idea. And perhaps I will go get some fresh cinnamon and do that. Yeah. With my hand harvested cinnamon. Ooh, oh my God, that would be so powerful. But I think especially with this whole association with abundance and like rebirth, I feel like it would be really good with a tarot deck. I I mean, I work with tarot a lot, so I find that I often think things will be good with the tarot deck. But, you know, uh, on that note, though, if you are a witch who works with dragon or phoenix energies, offerings of cinnamon are a great choice. And it's also a really good spice to use as you connect to those beings. So drinking some cinnamon tea if you're wanting to do a bit of dragon magic would be really cool. But even though it has a really fiery presence, I think it's important to note that cinnamon is much more of a healing fire, like less burn it all down and more light the hearth fire. You know, like that's the vibe there. And Cindy Brandon has this really beautiful way of talking about it where she she suggests using cinnamon to quote unquote reignite your inner fire after rebirth work, which I think makes a lot of sense. And it's a really gorgeous way to think about it. When I think about cinnamon, I really think about like sort of like your your gut fire you know, that the Mm. fire that exists in your gut, not the one in your heart, the like emotional fire, but that like gut instinct fire. So I think this is a great spice to use on the dark moon, or if you're doing shadow work, something to really help reinvigorate your magical self. It can also be used to represent Hecate's torch, which can help lead you out of the darkness through the womb into a bit of a rebirth moment. You can add a pinch of cinnamon to wine or tea to serve as an offering to any deities you work with, but it's especially helpful for unleashing their passionate energies. And you can purchase cinnamon essential oil, but I just have to like disclaim out the fucking wazoo here. Like, please dilute cinnamon oil heavily if you're going to apply it topically because it, it can burn you. Like it's very, very intense. But I think a really heavily diluted bit of cinnamon essential oil in like some jojoba or even in a salve would be a really great treatment for dry hands, which so many of us deal with this time of year. And also that nice warming smell, I think would just be mm, so good. And, and, you know, I do love that too, because it's like, I mean, working in a kitchen, I have to wash my hands like oh, yeah. at least 25 times a day um, was like the minimum I counted one time. Uh, and you do just get those dry, cracked hands. And so oh, yeah. I, I'm always looking for something new for that. 
Yeah. I'm like, my knuckles are very dry right now. I, I wash my hands about 25 times a day because I am a Virgo and I am insane. Um, but it's, I, I love the idea of a cinnamon and a hand salve, which is something that I'm definitely, it's like on my list. Cause I have, I have a bottle of cinnamon essential oil that I've had for probably about three years now, because you really use so little like a few drops of at it. a time yeah and it's stored like in a dark bottle it's hidden away i mean it's fine but really if you get just get a little one you don't need a big bottle of cinnamon essential oil like it will last for a while i loved this idea too of using cinnamon to make a sugar scrub so using one teaspoon of cinnamon powder in a quarter cup of sugar and coconut oil and using that as like a body scrub if you've been doing some like rebirth work or if you're doing shadow work and want to do a bath with your shadow work and then doing like a cinnamon salt like salt sugar scrub whatever Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be really Mm -hmm. lovely alternatively instead of using the oil you could just include like a quarter cup of sugar or even salt I would say with a teaspoon of cinnamon and add in some juniper berries and pine needles and use that as like an attraction bowl to attract prosperity, banish bad energies. It could be something really nice that you also leave out maybe on your front porch, under your doormat, you know, I'm just saying. We, we do need to write a book about doormat magic. We really do. I feel like this is our, this, this is, is this our is, niche. This is, this is our niche. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't plan on this being a doormat magic podcast, but here we are. Um, but finally, I really am excited about the idea of making like magical as fuck cinnamon rolls, which is what I want to do for Yule this year, because I like using the overnight cinnamon, uh, the overnight cinnamon roll recipe that Alton Brown has from Good Eats, where the dough is kind of like aged overnight before you bake it. And so I was thinking about making those, but adding in some orange zest, you know, for a little bit more abundance naturally. And of course some nutmeg to like warm it up, but also help heighten your psychic and spiritual connections on this like very dark half of the year holiday. So I love the idea of magical cinnamon rolls for breakfast on Yule. So that's like my new plan. So anyway, um, my sources today were Wikipedia, theherbalacademy.com, entering Hecate's garden by Cindy Brannon and I guess good eats if I'm going to be talking about Alton Brown. Because yeah, I mean, you know, you you did you did name drop it. So yeah, it's a really great cinnamon roll recipe. I gotta say, it's really good. Well, I I do, and I love the idea of making it into a baked good, yeah. like a magical baked good. Because yeah, I mean that is cinnamon is right at home in there. It is like it's really. I feel like it's an MVP for kitchen witches it's like you know rosemary's up there cinnamon's up there yeah i personally i I like the orange zest idea and hey you know if you do want to do a health bowl your little bowl of magical oranges Mm. that we talked about uh two episodes ago add in some cinnamon sticks add in some cinnamon sticks i love that you know i just made speaking of orange zest I just made my favorite macaron recipe and it is chocolate macarons with a dark chocolate ganache that has clove and orange zest in it. Mm. Mm, Very good. Anyway, it's a good thing. It's baking season y'all. I bake a lot. And we love that for you. And I, I, I just got all the stuff to make a pot roast. So, Mm, uh, and maybe I'll add a dash of cinnamon because, well, cause you know, it's like, personally, I love the flavor of tomato and cinnamon together. If we're just going to talk about cooking, because it's like, it's one of those things I do usually toast off 
just a little bit of tomato paste when I'm making a pot roast, it thickens the gravy uh, yeah. without having, and it, it, I mean, it's, and it's good. It helps brown your onions and your, your meat. Um, but that little bit of tomato and cinnamon together. Oh, yum. Is ju- it, ju- it really just fucking slaps. I mean, I feel like you should just brown off a little bit of tomato paste if you're making anything with a sauce, y'all, like hot tip from Nick. It's really a good way to like a good foundation. And get the tube, get the toothpaste tube of tomato paste yes. because uh, it really does. I don't like to waste. I, I hate when you get the little can because you only need a little bit for a recipe. And yep. if I'm making something like a pot roast, I'm going to be eating that for like a week. Yeah. So I, if you have that little can with just one little spoonful out of it in your fridge, because you're like, oh, well, I don't want to throw it away. I'll put it in the fridge. And then uh, a week later, you just th- fucking throw it out. And it's like, I don't care that it's 40 cents. You know, I get yeah. it. It's cheap. But, but it's wasteful. It's wasteful. Get the little toothpaste tube. Yeah. I love the little toothpaste tube. I'm never going back. Yeah. Second. I second the toothpaste tube. Uh, it's there. It's right. It's like right there by the regular little cans. I, and yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little more expensive, but. But then you're you not know? throwing most of it away. So. Yeah. So. Um, so you guys, we're talking about manifestation. And for this one, I would say I was in a bit of a difficult situation. Uh, we all know, of course, how manifestation works. If you're listening to this podcast. You probably fucking know, even as we are recording this episode, there will likely be a few new YouTube videos and Pinterest leaks links about this very topic. Uh, so it's yep. difficult to look at this from a fresh angle, but by gods, that is exactly what I'm hoping to bring you today. A fresh way to look at manifestation magic and perhaps a new way to practice it. So let's be honest. Even people our grandparents' age have seen things about the law of attraction, which is what manifestation is based on, uh, on like Oprah. You know, when you look up manifestation on Google, it's a fucking article from the Oprah magazine, uh, which don't get me wrong. I do think it was well-researched and, you know, I'm not hating on the Oprah manifestation article, but I, I mean, I think it's funny that like, baby boomers know about manifestation and so it's uh, like mainstream i mean and and you have to think about books like the secret which is still sometimes on the self-help charts yeah wildly popular even though it came out well over a decade ago Um, that made me feel old right so what can i possibly say that you do not already know it's simple right you think about the thing you visualize it, the universe is going to give it to you. And I would say the answer is that, yes, that is, in fact, the basic idea of manifestation. But if that's all you think it is, then you're really missing a lot of the point. Uh, And so to just kind of dive in for people who potentially don't know or who have forgotten, I am an Aries sun with the Sagittarius moon. And honestly, I don't usually have to put much effort into my own manifestations. I literally have boss baby energy uh, and I got that boost from Jupiter with that Sagittarius moon. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm a native manifester. Um, It's something that comes naturally to me. Uh, Sometimes I see things in dreams and then uh, they come to me. Uh, But 
what I wanted to talk to you all about is how I manifest and the steps that I think people are missing out on. So we're not really talking about manifesting in this segment. We're talking about what people are are not doing with their manifestation. So first of all, for me, manifesting is a lot about keeping my personal journal. Y'all know I love handwritten stuff. I like to write out things that I want. I will typically do this around the time of the new moon, which we have talked about the phases of the moon and how important they are when you are trying to manifest things. So of course, when Eve, who the people on the Patreon will have met Eve in our bonus episode, um, but when Eve lived in town, uh, I would often burn my new moon manifesto in our new moon bonfire. But we had a little espit going on. We would do the new moon, we would do the full moon. Um, but now I'm just back to writing it down here in apartment world uh, while Eve is exploring in Virginia and trying, you know, I'm trying to find another witch with a fire pit. So if you live in Austin, Texas, and you have a fire pit in your backyard and you are cool with uh, having a little witchy gathering, please do hit me up. Um, but that is a personal problem, and I'm here to help you guys become more adept manifestors. So, like I said, I wanted to talk about what I feel might be missing from some of y'all's manifestation regimens. Uh, and first of all, it's the astrology for me, ladies. So coming as a surprise to absolutely nobody, I think I find the astrological placement of the moon has a huge impact on the kinds of things you should be trying to manifest at the new moon going into that full moon phase. Um, We do have to keep in mind that new moons tend to be in the current sun sign and full moons tend to be in the opposite sign with a very few cuspy day exceptions. So we're obviously not going to try to manifest help with a conflict or a fight under a Venusian new moon in Taurus or Libra, because these new moons are not suited for this kind of work. Does that follow? Does that make sense to everyone out there? I really hope it does. But just to kind of give another example, we would try to manifest things like emotional healing or help with our psychic intuition under a Cancer new moon. So like, yes. The new moon is the time to try manifestation as a technique, but each moon does have its own flavor. And keeping that in mind, vis-a-vis your asks, can take your manifestation to the next level. So this this is really something that I think people are missing out on. They're like, oh, it's the new moon. That's it. I'm just going to ask for what I want. And it's like, well, maybe you should look at it. Maybe there's a better time. Yeah. I also on that note would just love to like add that. I think there's so much focus on the moon phases. And I think like to Nick's point about keeping a journal, I think there's a reason that's really helpful because I think it's also important that you figure out what your personal flow feels like, because Mm -hmm. if you're someone that like you're not feeling big magic and feeling that harvest energy on a full moon, maybe that is like more of a manifestation time for you. Like figure out where in your personal flow Mm -hmm. you feel with the moon. Because in my experience, people I know pretty well, um, the type of like the phase the moon was in when you were born can also kind of impact your relationship with the moon. So I think this is like all great. Think about what sign the moon is in. Think about what phase the moon is in. Think about your, your personal. Yeah. Yeah. 
think about your personal moon and then yeah, dig in that level, keep that journal, figure out like what your relationship with the moon looks like. Because if you're just following recipes you find on Pinterest, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great place to start. Sure. But like, if it's not in alignment with what works for you, you're still going to be missing out on a lot. You are. And it doesn't that sound like a lot of work, which brings me to my next point. Uh, I think a lot of beginner witches do look at that stuff on Pinterest and you kind of miss out on the idea of putting consistent work into it. So if you really want something, you can absolutely take a minute or two every day to like fully visualize what it is that you're wanting why you want it. And honestly, it's better if you can think about why you need it because the universe is not Uber Eats. Okay. And as much as it sucks to say it out loud, you're absolutely not going to get everything you want in this world. Um, Which of course we will be discussing a little more in depth in our QWP this week. So I'm going to move along from there. And honestly, I do somewhat dislike this segment has ended up being things that I think people do wrong with their manifestation practices. But I think that's really one of the things that people don't want to talk about. Uh, They they want it to seem easy. Uh, But I do think this next one is actually a huge one. And the reason I brought up my signs as part of the intro is because I personally feel that by taking part in manifestation, we are admitting to the belief that behind the next closed door, we might just find that the universe has seen fit to gift us with something extraordinary. And that's why I wanted to talk about that Aries and Sag energy, that fiery energy that I have. So I can tell you I'm always testing unopened doors, metaphorically speaking, Um, but also literally. I mean, Shannon knows I'll go into a fucking storm drain just to see what's in there. Um, It's true. I've been there. But as a Virgo rising, I do have something of an analytical streak, and I am in fact aware that this isn't everyone else's modus operandi. And with that in mind, I think one of the main reasons I am actually so good at manifesting is that not only do I put in the time to consider the seasons of the moon and where I'm at personally and like, do I need it? Okay. I literally open those unlocked doors just to see what's behind them. And that, I think, is what a lot of people are missing with their attempts to manifest. Uh, the things you want aren't out of reach. Sometimes they're only a few short feet away waiting for you to open the door. Uh, so what if you took the scenic walk home and met the love of your life? What if you explored a new interest at the library and met the love of your life? What if you tried out a new cafe that you heard about? Maybe they have good crepes. It just so happens you meet the love of your life there. I'm, I'm uh, of course, making a bit of a joke, uh, and I think it's obvious what I'm trying to manifest these days. But seriously, I, I think the secret, that sort of Jupiterian good luck with getting things we want doesn't have to do with luck at all. It's actually the fact that we'll take a wrong turn on purpose, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, worst case scenario you find out what's around the corner that you habitually avoid. And best case scenario, the universe is hiding what you want where you least expect it. You cannot just do the same things every day and expect things to be different. If you are trying to manifest something new in your life, you have to do new 
things. So it's not a huge ask. Uh, so I would say go out, get the things that you want. Yeah. Go open those doors. Test to see if they're locked. And yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, you had mentioned something about Sarah Faith Grotesteiner's uh, like human manifestation technique. Uh, and so I did want to give you the floor for <clears throat> just a moment to, yeah. uh, to talk about something that people could maybe do right. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys know I am like a huge fan of Sarah Faith Grotesteiner. She wrote um, The Many Moons. Uh, lunar planner that I use basically every year. She also wrote a book called The Moon Book. She's really great. She does a lot of like lunar witchcraft. And I love in The Moon Book that I bought of her, she has this practice called creating a moon map for your humanifestation work. I like that she calls it humanifestation just to like, because we're taking men out of the out of the like limelight. Mm -hmm. But she talks about going through the process of looking at a lunar cycle in lining up different small actions, like whether it's just magical spell work or like practical actions you can do for each phase of the moon leading up to the thing that you're trying to manifest. So for example, say that you want to get a new job and that's the thing that you're manifesting. Okay. So at the new moon, what are some seeds you could be planting? You know, you could be putting out job applications. You could be working on improving a skill set that'll make you a better hire as the moon is like waxing, you know, as things are growing, there's this energy of growth. Maybe you're going out for meetings and you're like trying to expand your network and maybe make connections that could help you find a new job. Full moon work, you know, that's like the big, like try to book the interview, do an informational call. And then as you're going into the waning moon phase, it's like, gathering resources, taking notes, getting feedback, and then the cycle starts back over. So that's like a very watered down version of it. But that's just an example, because I think so often as witches and magical people and people that exist on the internet, a lot of manifestation does get wrapped up in like just the magic part of it. But it's like, like Nick said, some of it is also just really practical. It's like, you're not going to get a new job that you're trying to manifest if you haven't applied for anything. <laughs> right. You, you literally, you have to fill out a job application. Yeah. So it's like, how can you incorporate your real life and your magical life? Because as much as we would all love to like run away and live in a cottage in the woods, we all have to exist in the current world that we live in. So I think it's about trying to find ways to like make magic here. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's really, I, I think where people miss the mark with manifestation Yeah, uh, is it, it, it's work. It's practical, it's, it's practical magic. It's not, um, we, you know, which actually, this is a great place to segue. Yeah, I think so. That's a great place to segue into our QW heat this week. So I think we can at least cover the plague of posts yeah. I saw on Pinterest labeled manifest anything in 24 hours. Um, I don't like the use of the word anything because I mean, anything could really, like I said, I mean, do you need it? You know, like, I don't think, I don't think the, the, the broader energies of the universe uh, see fit to just give you anything you want. Yeah. And like, you can have wants, but like, is it actually something you want or is it something frivolous that you saw passing on Instagram and decided in the moment that that was the thing? Right. Um, I, I hate the word instant instant manifestation that, yeah, ma magic isn't noodles that, that yeah it's it's not a fucking cup of ramen mm. uh but let's be honest 
nobody is going to like accidentally park a Lamborghini in your driveway 24 hours from now with a clean transferable title and the keys in the glove box. Yeah. Let's, let's be a little more realistic. And, you know, it's like, I, I love to see people's sort of vision boards, but you're going to have to work for the money for the Lamborghini at some point. Um, yeah. Or marry really rich, which is another way to get there. But like, yeah. you gotta, you gotta you take gotta, the path. You got, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick a path. You know, it, yeah. you, you don't just, you're not gonna wake up tomorrow and there's gonna be a Lamborghini in your driveway. It's just not gonna no. fucking happen. And uh, it sets you up for so much disappointment mm-hmm. if that's and, how you go into manifestation magic. But I think it's really where Pinterest witchcraft can lead towards just downright silly. Yeah, is when you talk about these instant manifestations. And of course, the whole point of doing questionable witchy practices is really pointing out areas of our own community that sort of make us look ridiculous as a group. Yeah. Uh, And this is really one of those where it's like when people look at the woo sphere, this is the kind of shit they see where it's like they don't take it seriously because yeah. this is this is what they're thinking about. They're like, what, you think you'd get a Lamborghini in 24 hours? Pshaw. Pshaw. And yeah, pshaw. They're Pasha. right. Yeah, we that's we we think that too. Like I we really we don't Pasha. know we don't know who's writing these things because it's ridiculous. It is. It's bots that are up in your Instagram inbox trying to sell you a spell, sweetie. <laughs> they always call me sweetie oh my god sweetie honey oh my god although i did get my official second like solicitation to be a sugar baby so maybe that's going to be my new call like we'll see so hey your on- manifestations really seem on point so hey um <laughs> so before we go into the end of the episode we want to take a quick break to do all of our plugs so oh. woo! first of all uh you speaking guys- of instagram Right? Where can they find us on Instagram, Nick? Oh, I think they can find us at Bonds and Franz Pod. <gasps> You're so right. Conveniently enough for you guys, that's also our email address, wandsandfranzpod at gmail.com. Hmm. Um, and we would love, love, love if you guys would rate, review, subscribe download the episode. If you're listening on your phone, screenshot it, share it on your Instagram story, tag us, we'll reshare. It really helps us get some visibility. You guys are the best like help that we have in attracting new listeners. We love doing this for you guys. It's so much fun. Another great way to support the podcast is always with cash money. So that's through Wands and Franz Pod. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Wands and Franz Pod. For as little as $5 a month, you get bonus episodes, videos of the podcast recording. So you can see things like mine and Nick's cute outfits, our house decorations. Um, you can also help keep kibble in the bowls of our pets, which. Yeah. I mean, you know, being a cat lady is expensive. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and then finally, um, in January, when this comes out, there'll be just a few days left to sign up for my 2022 Witches Garden Workshop. Um, so we'll go through literally the entire year. It's only $30. We're going to go through planning out your garden for the entire year. And as a bonus, if you're a member of our Patreon, at least the $5 level, you will get a free 30-minute one-on-one with me after the workshop if you sign up for it. So you can find more information about that on our Instagram or on the Patreon website. So, And I will say... If you tag us in an Instagram post, 
I will do a one card tarot draw. Oh, I love that. Y'all, so, that's a fucking hell of an offer from Nick Paul. Uh-huh. I love so, that. So hit it up. Hit it um, up. I, I, you know, this would be a fun new project for the new year for me. Uh, so yeah, yeah. If, you, if you post us in your Instagram story, I will do a one card tarot draw just for you. I love that. Well, so. on that fantastic note, um, I'm really excited that Kali is going to be our first Hindu deity that we're talking about because like, she's a feminist icon, honestly. And she's perfect. A, for- a, a real baddie. If She's you will. a real bad bitch. So her origins can be traced back to the mountain cultures of South Asia, which were shaped and transformed by Sanskritic traditions. So her first major appearance in Sanskrit culture is in the Devi Mahatmya, the glorifications of the goddess in 6th century CE. And in this telling, she is a battlefield goddess personifying the wrath of Durga, and she appears as a skeletal crone. So she's depicted in a variety of ways now literally around the world. But the most common characterization you see of her is either with black or blue skin, partially or completely naked, with a long, lolling tongue, multiple arms, a skirt or girdle of human arms, and a necklace of decapitated heads, and a decapitated head in one of her hands. And she's often also shown standing or dancing on her husband, the goddess Shiva, who lies beneath her. So, who is this badass blue lady, you might be asking? So Kali's name is derived from the Hindu word for time or black. And in Hinduism, she's a manifestation of the divine mother. So Kali's name is also the feminine form of Kala, which is one of Shiva's epithets. So she is tied to him in like this really interlocked, like kind of undeniable way. It's believed by some that Shiva is often the one who destroys the world and Kali is the energy with which he acts. So with that mythology, Kali is actually Shiva's Shakti and Shakti is the dynamic energy responsible for creation and destruction of the universe. It's actually like identified as feminine energy, right? Because like mothers are responsible for birth, which is both creation and destruction. So when Kali appears besides uh, Shiva, she actively provokes and encourages him, which I think is really cool because that's contrasted directly with his relationship with Pavarti, who soothes and neutralizes his destructive energies. So it's really cool because in this way, um, Kali never tames Shiva. Shiva has to calm Kali, which is a really powerful, I think, reversal of a lot of traditional stories we're told about women, especially in Western cultures. So in her earliest appearances, like I mentioned earlier, she is associated with battlefields of the gods. And in this battle um, where she's manifested by Durga, it's a battle with the demon um, Raktabja. And she's manifested to turn around a situation that has gotten way out of hand. Like it's gotten super bad. So every drop of blood that is spilled by this wounded demon in this battle spawns a deadly like battle uh, clone. But Kali turns the battle around when she's called in because she actually drains the demon's blood before it hits the ground. And then she starts devouring his clones. So this is one of the cool ways that we see her story or see her power shown in stories, right? So when you need to fight fire with fire, and that's often not the case in like Western mythology, especially around women, which is one of the things I really like. It's like, if someone's doing some dastardly deeds, you need someone to come in and be dastardly. Kali is your girl. So there's another story where a group of criminals decide to sacrifice a human to her to try and win her favor. And they chose a young Brahmin monk 
who was really like an all around super good dude. His saintliness actually shines so bright when they tried to sacrifice him that it scorched the statue of Kali they were sacrificing him at. And she manifests, but then proceeds to decapitate and drink the blood of the criminals who tried to sacrifice this good man to win her over. And so Ooh, I, it's almost like Krampus. Right. You cannot bribe Krampus. You, you cannot. cannot bribe Kali. No. And so I love this because in this story, she's really like refusing to be controlled by people who think they know what she's about. Right. And this is another instance. And you see this time and time again in Kali's stories where like a lot of times the things that she destroys are really rooted in like ignorance and evil. So I, the other thing I really like with like the Krampus tie-in is it really shows that Kali is impartial. I'm sorry. Willow. What? Willow says, fuck those criminals. So I, I just like that Kali is really impartial too, though, because it's like, no, she can't be bought. You can give her all the blood you want, but uh, if you're a dickhead, she's still going to decapitate you. So in you're looking at when you're looking at the history here, Kali also developed a parallel relationship with Tantra. So the Tantric teachings are about a lot more than sex stuff. It's a collection of ancient magical stories and folk practices that exist alongside the Vedic tradition. And I just feel like, we have to disclaim that because like, I think most of what people know about Tantra in the West is all about tantric sex, which like thanks Sting, I guess, for bringing that to the mainstream, but there's right. a lot more to it than that. The, com- the Kama Sutra is just one part of yeah. the much broader yeah, exactly. situation. So in these stories, Kali seems to hold kind of like she's much closer to what people think are the tribal origins of the goddess. And in this aspect and in these stories, we see her kind of standing outside of time. She exists before the universe was created and she'll still exist when it's gone. Like here in these stories, she's a primordial being, like really a symbol of mother nature herself. And so she's nurturing and devouring, which we see in so many stories about her, but ultimately loving and benevolent. And in this aspect, she's often referred to as Kali Ma or Mother Kali, and millions of Hindus revere and worship her in this aspect. And in tantric meditation, her dual nature is a call for whoever's you know doing the meditation to face the beauty of life and the realities of death simultaneously. And so there is this like really cool duality that we see with Kali all the time that I think, especially as someone who identifies as a woman, feels really powerful because so often women aren't given the ability to be the devourer you know that's not super common so i just love that about her it's it's kind of like we were talking about with uh panacea where Mm -hmm. it's like you have this very very powerful goddess that is somehow relegated to being an assistant to a man yeah which you know, it's like it, it, you can really kind of see it's it's shoddy workmanship, honestly, yeah. because it's like you can just tell that they wanted a man to be in charge of this aspect. Yeah. And so much of Kali has been like there's a lot of ideas that some of her aspects have been a bit watered down and like have been kind of, I guess, colored through the lens of like centuries of patriarchy. But you know, she is, she is a bit scary sometimes, right? Much like mother nature, hi, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, like mother nature creates all things, but also destroys things. Like there's this 
beautiful, terrifying force of mother nature. But because of that devotion to Kali wasn't actually something that came along super early, but in the 17th century, she got a makeover from the tantric Bengali poets who turned her from this like scary red-eyed crone into a voluptuous, motherly, young, beautiful woman with a blue complexion. But she still wore human body parts, um, but now two of her right hands are seen making soothing gestures, the mudras of fearlessness and blessing. She also retained like the big, long, lolling tongue. But this is really the Kali that I think most of us are really familiar with the depiction of. But they did still retain, I think, a lot of the things that harken back to this like very intense crone figure, which I just... I adore. And then, of course, in the 20th and 21st centuries, a lot of Western feminist scholars have adopted her as a symbol of some sort of like supposed former matriarchal golden age that came before the present state of patriarchal control and decline. To be fair, it is a bit of golden age syndrome. There wasn't ever like a perfect matriarchy in the same way that there's never been a perfect patriarchy. I think that it's almost like humans are inherently flawed, but I do think Kali is still like a really fantastic, like feminist icon, uh, new age tantric practitioners adapt her obvious sexual manifestations as a therapeutic tool. And of course, Hollywood still uses her as like an easy symbol of like feminine malevolence, but the true Kali, I, I really think will always kind of defy attempts to like tame and domesticate her, right? Like you can try and put her in a box, but then she'll probably chop off your head and drink your blood. So you know, I'm not going to get into it again here. I'm, I'm not going to get into working with her in your practice because to me, that feels really gross and appropriative. Um, I think that there's a lot of romanticization of Hinduism and like Sanskrit cultures in general, especially when you're looking at like the new age world with like yogis. And some of that I think is just like really gross. Um, so uh, gr- I, I, it's one of those things where it's like if gross white people with dreadlocks are into it, it's probably problematic. Yeah, exactly. Even, th- even though they all are like love and light people, love and light is problematic too. Yeah, so. exactly. But so there you have it, guys. Like a great intro to a goddess who cannot be caged, will not be tamed. And my main sources today were Britannica and Kashgar.com.au. So, but you know, I do think it's interesting to look at these deities from other pantheons. I yeah. think we can draw, we can, it can help us define the archetypes with the deities that we prefer. Yeah. Um, and I think and- it just makes you a, a better witch all around to just have more of a breadth of understanding because. I think it also, in addition to helping you draw parallels, which there's so many parallels to like Hindu deities, especially with Greco-Roman stuff. um, But I think it also helps you be just a better human and have your feelers out a bit more for when appropriation is happening that maybe is Mm -hmm. a little bit more covert. Right. And I I just think, yeah, it's like, it's cool to learn. I, I, we were talking about it at the top of the episode, I think before we were we're recording about how uh, I had asked my local uh, corner store guys uh, about their their altars because they do have a couple around the store and one of them was to Kali and I just thought it was interesting you know he told me what they put out and what it means to them and I'm not gonna do that at home but yeah it's interesting to learn these things 
So yeah, agreed. So, so to all of you white people out there, wash your hair and do better and do better. So we're here. It's the bitter end. And so this week I did take a little departure because I wanted to do a specific sign. I felt called to do so. It's none of your fucking business. Why? But um, it's for Aquarius. And so for the Aquarians out there, we have the hanged man. And so, you know, don't don't get your underwear in a bunch. It's not so bad. But how I sort of interpret this card is that you can stand on the gallows forever and wonder what's next or you can take the step and die and be gloriously reborn uh, and so of course as an aquarius both of these things exist in your nature uh, and it's up to you ultimately to make the decision do you stand in one place forever or do you take the plunge do you let the noose do its job uh, it will only hurt for a minute or two and then who knows and isn't the unknown like the whole deal with Aquarians anyway? So I feel like there's much to think about there. Uh, and honestly, I say, I say jump. Yeah, go for it. I feel like especially after you've talked so much about manifestation and how you can only get awesome new things when you try new things. You're right. not going to manifest something new standing at the gallows until the end of time. Right. And in a way, it's like, this is where, where you're at is a dead end for you. Yeah. So you, you just kind of have to accept that. And, and again, be reborn as something else. You have to let whatever this is die so that you can do something different. Yeah. I so, love that. That's such a good message for Aquarius, I feel like. Yeah. So, so jump off. Hang. My advice mm -hmm. to you. So what do we say to all of these manifesting bitches? Oof, to all of these manifesting, perhaps soul-devouring bitches out there, we say blessed be, bitches. Blessed be, you soul-devouring bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. When you're harvesting the sparse, the sparse, when you're harvesting, when harvesting the sparse, 